This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just do that little check. Um, this is the marriage life zone. Okay. So if, uh, if you were expecting something else, you have full grace to leave and leg it now. But if you're in the right place at the right time, uh, this is the marriage one. It's so good to be in this setting. And uh, once again, welcome to Devoted. It's, go- it's going well, isn't it? Okay. Um, just... Uh, a few things to be, before I jump in, really, in terms of the deep end. Um, the first one is this, that uh, I'm just aware very much that uh, most of you here today are married. Um, some of you aren't. I, I'm just aware the singles here, and that is great. We're, uh, I think one of the, as single people, being it, learning about marriage is a, a key thing, I think, both in terms of understanding marriage in the wider context of the kingdom of God, and also it may be amongst you singles that you are hoping to be married at some point, and hopefully this is going to serve you in that. Uh, if you're a single guy, and if you're a single girl, then obviously come and see us at the end, and we'll make some introductions. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all part of the service. It's free. You paid for it when you signed up. And, you know, it'll be fine, okay? It will work out in the end, okay? Um, just, I, I just want to do a few introductory things. One is that we are recommending some books, and, um, and they're all available in a bookshop near you, in the hub. Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller is a, a great book for the meaning of marriage, it's one of the, the best books in understanding a biblical view on marriage. Thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. It's also got some excellent chapters on singleness that marrieds need to read and, uh, and vice versa. So excellent book in the bookcase. So what, what we will do is leave some of these books out so you can have a look at them afterwards and pr- browse. You actually can look at our underlinings, which means you don't need to buy it, and it's a cheaper way of doing it. In terms of biblical understanding of marriage, one of the newer books out as well is Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland. Again, it's a, it's a slim book, but it's packed full of truth. Thoroughly recommend it in terms of a biblical foundation on marriage. This book, Loveology, is written by John Mark Comer. If you've read any of his books, John Mark Comer, you know he's a a superb writer. He communicates very differently, very freshly. Again, it's a very good biblical understanding of marriage, but it's written in a very readable way. Okay, once started, you can't put that down. Okay, so Loveology. Loveology. This book, A Celebration of Sex. (laughs) Good. That's why we're in the pink room, right? Okay, that's the real reason why we're here in the pink. Okay, so A Celebration of Sex, and there's not many Christian books that are written specifically about sex. There's a few out there. 
Uh, I, I think this is possibly the one that's got the most, say, the most detail. Uh, and some pictures as well. Oh, diagrams, diagrams. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, don't start. Okay, okay. Don't start. Okay, sorry. Okay, right. Okay, I'm being a very good boy. Okay. And the last book, but actually, this is the book we particularly want to feature. Cheryl's going to refer to this a bit later uh, in our session this morning. Making Marriage Beautiful. And it's written by Dorothy Greco. It's kind of, a, a new, again, a new book out. And I had to prize this away from Cheryl, who was reading it. We had a bit of an argument about it, but that's fine. That gives us an illustration for marriage. And uh, we've both read this. It is an excellent book, and I know Cheryl will refer to it later. There's only about 12 copies. Ten quid is great investment in your marriage. Um, just to give you the overall picture of what we're doing, this morning it'll be Cheryl and I sharing. Uh, we come from Cockermouth, King's Church, and what I will be doing is doing the first half of this session on a biblical understanding of marriage, and then Cheryl would then drill down to the realities of, uh, yeah, anyway. Where rubber hits road, okay? She will unpack some of the, the uh, you know, just drill down into that. Tomorrow morning, we have Lee and Stacey Yarbrough, who have come all the way, all the way from Mexico to speak on marriage. Lee and Stacey are over in the back there, give us a wave. And ask them to speak on emotionally healthy marriage. Okay, so that's the big title, Emotionally Healthy Marriage. But as part of that as well, they will also do some theological understanding uh, for reasons that hopefully will be obvious as well. The third morning, we had John and Karen Cook from Penrith, which gives a... And John and Karen um, are going to do something called Working Through Real Issues Together. Brackets, Skeletons in the Closet. And <laughs> that's no, the sex one is about in the wardrobe. Now, um, but I, I, <laughs> but what we've got, um, but John and Karen, uh, both Lee and Stacey are very, very good friends of ours. John and Karen are as well. And we've had the privilege of just kind of working through some of the challenges they've needed to work through. And I know it's going to be very vulnerable, very open, whatever. And, and so it's a bit of a journey to this life zone, okay? But it's so important we start where we start with a biblical understanding. That's the foundation. If we don't get that right, then the whole thing else is skewy and, uh, and all the application and, 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 and just doesn't work. Just uh, to get you through these three sessions intact, and safe, without scars. There's some forbidden phrases. If there's something you particularly agree with that anyone says, please don't nudge your partner and say, I told you so. <laughs> forbidden. Neither do that Christian thing of, mmm. 
very loudly, hope, hoping your partner. Okay, so no, you know, no kind of sideways, sideways stuff. And, uh, and I guess that includes no nudging each other, like, are you listening to this? <laughs> you, did that, you did that too easily. That's right. Are you listening to this? Okay, try to hear it yourself in terms of what God's saying. And, uh, and just to say, and it's going to become very obvious, we have not got it all together. The three couples that are going to be speaking... Uh, none of us have perfect marriages, far from it. We're still on the journey. Cheryl and I still use the phrase a lot, we're lifelong learners, and sometimes that learning process is a bumpy road together. Okay, but we're trying to live in God's grace and truth together. And so with that, I'd say that some of you are here bearing real scars and hurts because of marriage kind of past marriage, maybe a past marriage you've been part of, or even the present marriage, and you're carrying stuff that has affected your viewpoint on marriage. Please, let's all embrace that together. We're all in need of the grace of God. Okay? It's critical, and that's a big starter, and we'll keep referring to that all the way through. And so there's no such thing as a perfect marriage in this room. Right? Are we good with that? Good. Right. Jesus was asked a very difficult question about marriage. Pharisees and and, and scribes were trying to trap him. And it's a question about divorce. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That question was a minefield. But it's fascinating how Jesus answered it. He said, haven't you read? And with that, he took them back to God's original design. He took them back to creation and the creation story. God's good design for marriage. And it's so important we start there because we live in a world and we live in cultures that are shaped by values that are so opposite to what God intended. So certainly here in the UK, and I'm aware that we're not all, uh, all from this nation, but here in the UK, we've got values of individualism, of consumerism, of personal fulfillment, of instant gratification, and emotional intensity. And if you add plain old selfishness into that, All those things set us up for failure in long-term covenant marriage. And that's the setting that we're in. And it's vital we understand that. And so we need to hear Jesus' words ringing clear in our ears. Have you not read? And that's why I'm starting this session, and really the sessions, with this biblical overview of what does God say about marriage? And if we don't get that, then I say we're building actually on either shifting sand 
forever moving, or we're building on sinking sand <laughs> that at some point will be swallowed up. So we need the Bible, what God says in terms of the foundation of marriage, in terms of a biblical vision of marriage, from which we get our expectations. We'll be picking that up later. Expectations are a critical part of marriage. We need a biblical vision to help us get those calibrated right. And we just need biblical help now to get through today in marriage. We need the wisdom and the truth and the grace of God that we find revealed to us in Scripture to help build our marriage. So, here we go. First thing about what God says is this. It's about creation and purpose. God created marriage. And we're going to read those Scriptures. This will be the one section that I will actually open the Bible on although hopefully all the rest will be clear that it's biblical. So Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move, or move over the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fishes in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then moving on in the story in chapter 2, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out the ground, all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God calls a man to fall into a deep sleep. Oh, shall we pause there? <laughs> Men, you're allowed to have that deep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken up the man. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is now. Imagine it. He's been naming all the animals, all the birds, you know, hippos, crocs, elephants, you name it. They've all gone by him. And now he's saying, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she, will, she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So what we see there is that God created 
man and woman in the image of God. We're made in his likeness. Okay? We're unique in that. We are different from animals. We're his image bearers. We see that God created male and female. We are different but equal. It was the crowning pair of creation. God had already made earth and sky, heavens and, and earth. He'd done sea and land. And this is now the crowning pair, binary pair, male and female. We see that we're created for purpose, to rule and be fruitful, to fill and subdue the earth. That we're partners with God in Operation Earth, or Operation His Kingdom on Earth. We're partners together. That means we have a calling bigger than ourselves. John Mark Home in his book says this, If the point of your marriage is your marriage, it will collapse on itself. Okay? If the point of your marriage is your marriage, it will collapse in itself. We're called to something bigger. We're created to be fruitful, to have babies. John, that is so timely. That you should be. Thank you for this visual aid. You know I cannot do PowerPoint, so you do it in the person, but... You're created to be fruitful, to have babies. Now, we know that's not always possible. But the context of bringing children into the world with God's original design is marriage. The first, have you realized the first command in the Bible is to have sex? Oh, you don't sound too excited by that. <laughs> Okay, guys, we're going to scrap everything else we talked about. We're going to have three sessions on sex and marriage. We're created to enjoy God first and foremost. So after God made male and female, Adam and Eve, the first day they had together was a day of rest. In other words, there's a... a, re there's a, a they, came into a rest in the presence of God. That is to be foundational to our marriages. There's a restlessness that doesn't get satisfied in each other, but is found, the answer is found in God. We're created for fellowship with the Creator. That this couple, they walked in the goodness of God. It is a true love triangle. And we've got to see that. That before man and woman fell, they were created for fellowship together with God. And that's why this is so critical. We let the Bible shape our understanding. There's some very good marriage advice out there in the world. Some very helpful stuff. Books that we've read and think, yeah, that's good. But they all leave this factor out. They all leave, unless we build on the foundation of fellowship and relationship with our Father in heaven, then again, we've not got the right foundation. We're created to enjoy one another, naked and not ashamed. <laughs> 
Okay? The first sight Adam had of Eve, he burst into poetry. That's what that, it's the first song ever created. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It wasn't a biological description, it was an expression, it's a song. It's like, this is it. Naked and unashamed. Praise and affirmation were there right at the beginning of marriage. Born to see. Often marriages break down on the opposites of those. No shame. God, God created the human body. Each part to be enjoyed, appreciated, shared. And again, it's important we see this because the world today has completely reversed this order. Basically, the world today says this. Let's get together physically, sexually. Let's satisfy that appetite. And maybe there's something more in this. Actually, we can't like each other. So let's kind of, you know, maybe live together for a while. And then just maybe... Beyond that, we'll express that in the covenant to each other we call marriage. It's a complete reversal of what we find in creation. Now, it may be, and I'll say this again, that's been your story. Well, that's the grace of God, that God can actually change that. But part of what he wants to do is establish the right foundation into your marriage. God created a suitable helper, someone to partner in the caller, in the calling bigger than themselves. And lastly, about creation is this: God created them to be one. Okay, to be united, become one flesh, and that's not just a sexual act. It's a word. That word, one flesh. It was a Hebrew word, an ikad, which is a weighty word, which when mixed with flesh. It means fused together at the deepest levels. That's unity. That's the oneness. And it's a a joining together that's best summed up in one word, covenant. A strong stickability together. So that's marriage as God designed it. It was very good. That was his comment on it. And they all rode into the sunset and lived happily ever after. And that's who we all are with perfect marriages. They mess up. We looked at creation and purpose. This is conflict and promise. As we read through the story in the Old Testament, clearly in the garden, they sin. They reject God's goodness. They think they know what's best. They reject the wisdom of God. They shift the foundation of their lives under what they think is right. And then the story unfolds. John Mark Comer again says this. In the beginning, God created Adam. Then he created Eve. And ever since, we've been been picking up the pieces. Love and hate, marriage and divorce, sexuality and adultery, romance and heartache. That's the story that we're born into. The creation story ends with separation, shame, fear, 
hiding frustration and pride. And actually, those issues that we'll be unpacking as this goes on, that actually are the things we struggle with today. That's the conflict. We struggle with temptation, with sin, with brokenness. And the story goes on throughout the Bible. And then, uh, but you, you get these bright spots where God, as it were, reminds the people about his intention for marriage. So when you get to the wisdom literature, you get to the Proverbs and you, hear the, and you read this verse. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then it goes on to really say, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. But then goes on to say, why embrace the bosom of a wayward wife, wayward woman? <laughs> Could we scrub the tape at that point? And <laughs> I've just realized. Okay. Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Good question. Good question. Often, tragically ignored. And then we go into the Song of Songs, which again is the song of songs. It's like the best song. And it's got like these two levels of understanding, but it starts very clearly, it's about the love between a man and a woman. It's passionate, it's intimate, it's releasing, it's freedom, there's delight in one another. It, it, it erupts, it makes most people embarrassed. God loves man and woman coming together. But all this joy and celebration of that marriage is surrounded by the stories of brokenness, conflict, sin, temptation, unfaithfulness. But there's promise. Amidst this conflict, there's promise. And the promise is this, that God would do something that would change our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And as we read through and we turn the page of the Bible to the New Testament, we find those promises are now fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus is the foundation to our marriages. It's so important we get this. So if we looked at creation and purpose, we've seen conflict and promise. We find in Christ, we find the cross and we find the power of God coming together. And it's in the cross that we find we're forgiven so we can forgive each other. It means I'm justified. So it means I no longer have to prove myself. It means I have a saviour, so I'm not looking for someone else to save me. And some people get married on that basis. It means that I can know I'm loved, so I'm not, as it were, just putting a wrong expectation on the response of my partner to me. The cross changes everything. It's both foundational and it's formational. 
But alongside the, uh, with the cross comes the resurrection, and we see the power of God that now today in our lives we can access the Holy Spirit given to us, and he can change our lives. And that's the biggest key to marriage growth and marriage partnership together. We have access to the power of the Spirit, but the reality of the cross. This changes everything. It changes who I am. I've got a new identity. It changes how I live. And it changes what is true. I'm part of a bigger story. And so when Paul writes about marriage, and I think Stacey will pick this up tomorrow, in Ephesians, he wraps it round with a bigger story. It's not just the, 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 the marriage in the Bible doesn't, isn't just about us as couples. It puts us, it immerses us in a bigger story. It's basically about Jesus and the church. And this is where singles and married together, we're both part of a bigger marriage. And it's so critical we understand that, that we belong to Jesus, our bridegroom. And so the final acts of this big story sweeping up is this. It's about a climax. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That whether married or single, those are temporary states. And that actually where it is all going is this. It is going into the perfect marriage. Jesus and the church. And that hope, that hope is to strengthen us now. So we don't just look backwards at creation, although that's foundational. We've got something we're living for that's bigger than ourselves. And that, again, is critical because there are times when we will frustrate each other. I know there's times when Cheryl gets frustrated with me. Even despairing, maybe. <laughs> we'll, call, we'll call it there. Um, uh, but I know it, and, and it's like, and it's not we just quote verses each other. We, we don't do that. But there's a sense of, but we do know that together we are immersed in a bigger story than just the story of our marriage. And that's a critical thing for us to know, to have a healthy biblical perspective on marriage. So what I've tried to do there, literally, I've just tried to do a big sweep, okay, of what the Bible says about marriage. Now, the fun revealing squirmy stuff for me gets revealed through the wonderful voice and lips of my lovely wife. <laughs> yeah.
I'm using my phone next time. <clears throat> okay, morning, everyone. Rog kept going on and on and on at me to give a title to this, and I couldn't do it. And I kept saying, don't keep asking me, stressing me out, please stop. I finally worked it out yesterday, and it's a very roughly called Prepare to Change, Prepare for Change. And I hope those amongst you will realize there's a P for prepare and a C for change, which fits very, very nicely into Roger's C's and P's, conflict and promise and creation and... You have forgotten the rest. I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my part of the seminar is going to mainly consist of two things. One is a caravan story. And the second one is regurgitating lots of making marriage beautiful because it's an absolutely superb book, brilliantly helpful. I'm just going to start with a little caravan story. And this is to illustrate something that Dorothy Greco says at the very beginning of her book. And this is what she says. I am not a marriage expert. I do not have a perfect marriage. And in my notes, I've just put same. Me too. <laughs> So this is a little illustration, which um, you might not have a caravan, but I think you'll completely get this. So we're on our way to Devoted, and we have a very clever sat-nav thing called Dolly. And Dolly is, is a ways person, and she's very, very good at picking out if there are things ahead that you need to avoid. We have quite an old, heavy, and fairly long caravan. And maybe... 10, 8, 10 miles from Stafford, Dolly said, turn off here. So we did. And then suddenly, as we turned across a main road, we were on a main road. That's really important. We turned off and it said, <laughs> single track road, passing places only. And I'm like, oh my word, Rog, I'm, I'm not a great person at, with a caravan behind me. Uh, does not bring out the best in me. And I'm like, no, Rog, what happens if we meet a car or, or a truck? And Roger's nice and calm. It's okay, we'll be all right. No, but we can't back up the caravan. Now, well, how will we do that? It's okay. So anyway, we come down this very long and windy road. And as we were coming down, it, we met one car, but that was very gracious to us and pulled in. And we come, then we're suddenly going through a little village then we pull out onto another road, and then finally we're about what eventually turned out to be 100 metres away from the correct turning here into Devoted. However, my memory came from last year where I hadn't realised we were coming the other way up the road. So now we're coming from the opposite way, but I haven't really noticed that. And I just very gently, as I saw this big opening, I just sort of lifted my hand like that. I don't know if you ladies have ever done that. I didn't actually say anything. I just sort of went like that. And Roger, being the responsive husband that he is, no oncoming traffic, indicated, and we pulled right in to someone's driveway with locked, <laughs> locked gates and not enough room for us to fully get our caravan off the road. And I'm like, <gasps> sorry. And... Then Roger tries to straighten the car up. And if any of you have ever towed, you'll know that 
Right, if you go that way, the caravan goes the other way, and that sort of thing. So all that happened was we kept going, sticking the caravan further back on the road. It was awful. It was so scary for me. And then Roger said, it's all right, don't worry. We're going to go on this green verge, this grass verge that is right here, because there was a big post, so he felt he couldn't turn the car. And I'm like, no, Rog, no, that's giving me a hot flush now, and I'm really, really worried. <laughs> and uh, please don't do that. Please, because in my mind, uh, we were going to sink into this soggy grass. And then what would happen? Fire engines and <laughs> rescue vehicles would have to come for us. I mean, on... I know, I'm a drama queen. I know. But I was really, really worried about that. And I was like, no, Rog, no, please. I'm going to have to get out. I can't do this. I got no, Rog. And he was like, I'm, I need to straighten the van up, and then I can reverse back, and then we can pull out on the road. No, please, don't do it, Rog, don't do it. And then I said, Rog, just turn the car. And he's like, there's a post there, darling. There's a post. And I said, no, no, I think you can do it, Rog. I think you can do it. So eventually, with my persuasion, he got out of the car had a good look, and thought maybe he could try it. And as it happened, it just scraped past, the, not scraped it, but scraped past the post. So we're now in the position of the caravan like that on the road, and us like this, kind of in a V. And so I have to lean out the passenger window, and I'm going like, you're okay? No, no, no. You're, after the red, no, no. <laughs> Roger's looking for traffic this way. We finally made it. 100 metres down the road, we turned into Devoted. I'm like, really? That all happened just before we got here? And I just use that just to illustrate. You know what? Marriage is up and down, isn't it? You know what? We'd had a great journey, chatting. I forgot we were towing. And then suddenly, at the last knockings, there we go. Could have been a bit of a disaster. So, we are all in imperfect marriages. Why? Because we're imperfect. And basically what I want to say is, God, the person that God deals with in the marriage is yourself. It's not the other person. Of course there are things that the other person will be dealing with and changing. But that's up to them and God. On the whole, where we need to change is right here. It's, it's us that God needs to change. So we're all a work in progress, and we're on a journey which is characterized by change. All on a journey, characterized by change. Roger already mentioned it. We're committed in all sorts of aspects of our lives to being lifelong learners. And I think that's a really great place for people to be, lifelong learners. This journey will involve ourselves and our marriage partner if we have one, children if we have them, other people, some will be Christians, some won't be, work situations, and if we're Christians, involve God. I didn't put that first because sometimes people forget that we need to involve Jesus in our marriages. And I wanted to emphasize that. We need to involve him. It's part, of, it's part of everything that Roger was saying. It's part of our foundational call to marriage. So, if we want to see Jesus glorified in our lives and marriages, we need to allow God to change us. We're two broken people trying to sort things out. 
on a journey together, right? Doesn't matter how short, doesn't matter how long, but that's the journey that we're on, two broken people. If you ever forget that you're a bit broken, then watch out, okay? Because we are broken and God's in the process. Our sanctification involves making us less broken. So, preparing for change, preparing to change. Practicalities such as finance, communication, sex, all of that stuff, it so often is talked about in like, you, you yourselves might talk about it before you get married, but if you go to pre-marriage counseling, they will talk to you about it. Um, but so often we forget that we are flawed. And if we don't ask God to change us, all that will happen is that we'll get better at managing our finances, better at sex, better at communication. But we won't become the better versions of ourselves that God wants us to be. So how do we change? Change means having, this is possibly my number one point, Change means having a doctrine of sin. Why do we need a doctrine of sin? If we don't have a doctrine, I'm going to read this. This is um, a lady called um, Jen Pollock Michael, and she writes, Without the doctrine of sin, we are led toward being unusually optimistic about our humanity. We will refuse to face the viciousness of our capabilities And we will trust our desires too much and fear ourselves too little. Ouch. All right? Are we overly optimistic about ourselves? So often we are, right? But we're broken and we're human. And so unless we have a doctrine of sin, then we will be in denial. If you're in denial of sin, you can't change. All right? Simple as. And that's the same for any aspect of your, of your Christian life. Recognizing our sin shouldn't disempower us, but it should give us the motivation to ask God for help. Okay? If, if God is revealing some sin in your life that's causing you to be, behave in certain or or, or to show certain behaviors, then we need to cry out to him. And you know what? It's often desperate, isn't it? Please help me. Please help me right now. Um, And you know what? If we understand our vertical relationship with God helps us to change, then that helps on our horizontal relationship that helps the change there so if we don't understand that God has desire and power because he loves us so much that he wants us to change wants to help us to change by the Holy Spirit then we're going to mess up on that horizontal ability to change what is sin well sin's wrong thinking wrong behaviors all sorts of stuff there's lots of biblical lists we could go through 1 Corinthians 6 Galatians 5. 1 John 1 8 says this if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, pretty much, we're all sinful. You just need to face up to it, <laughs> basically. You just need to face up to it. All right, and when we sin, what do we do? What we always do confession and repentance. And it breaks that cycle. Uh, But I I have put somewhere in my notes, uh, 
it's not easy. It's not easy, is it? Facing up to sin. It's, it's, not, it's not easy saying to, to your marriage partner, I'm really sorry. That was stupid. I'm really sorry I hurt you accidentally. Or I'm really sorry I hurt you deliberately. That is hard to do. But if we, if we don't face up to that sin, then we cannot break the cycle of it if we deny it. Okay? So, number two, helping us, the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is an essential component in any of our marriages. And I'll just read them through to you quickly. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And you just read those through and you go, oh, I need help. (laughs) Patience. I need help. Kindness. I need help. But they're essential. The thing is, they're not essential for your partner. They're essential for you. Patience. Oh, I wish he was more patient. Hey, hey. No, no. It's about you. Lord, help me to be more patient. Help me to be more kind. Help me to be more tender-hearted. Number three, getting to know uh, and understand yourself and your partner. I'm just going to whiz through a couple of little things here, and then I'm going to expand on a couple of them. Okay, getting to know yourself. Strengths and weaknesses. How do you process stuff? Are you an external processor? Are you an internal processor? These are just headings at the moment. Dorothy Greco calls it, and I will refer to it as being an outie or an innie. So an outie is an external processor, and an innie is an internal processor. I like that because it's much quicker to say. Uh, Likes and dislikes. What do you like and dislike? What does your partner like and dislike? Family of origin. That's a big one. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Another big one. This all comes under the title of, of knowing or trying to understand yourself and your partner better. I just want to dig deep in a little bit of a couple of those. Family of origin. It's not something we often talk about, but it's struck me recently. And uh, Dorothy Greco really makes this point very strongly in her book, that our family of origin, that's the family we were born into, whether it's our birth family or whether we were adopted or fostered or whatever, but it's that, you know, that family setting that you're growing up in or not family setting. For example, in it being in care or even in a care home. It has a profound and often unrecognized um, consequence in our life. And the thing is, as parents, if you're parents here, you'll, you'll know this. Like One of the biggest things we're doing is, is teaching our children, right? And we want our children to learn. That's one of the big things about being a parent. We hope they learn really, really good things. But, but what happens is we, <clears throat> we normalize our inherited family of origin, um, the, things, the things that they thought were good, the things that they thought were bad, simply the way they did things, and the way they did hospitality, the way they did communication, the way they did everything, basically. We inherit that as children, and that's okay, except that what normally happens is when we normalize that experience, we feel that our experiences 
are superior to anyone else's. And if you get married, if you are married, you both have two different family of origins. Therefore, you have two different patterns that you were exposed to during your life. So, for example, let's just take um, hospitality. Your parents might have absolutely loved having people round, right? And had them round every night of the week and all of that, right? You inherit that. That's fine. The problem comes when you normalize that and you go like, in your head, this is. You say, that's the right and best way, the superior way of doing family life. You marry this person who, his, he was an only child maybe, his mum and dad were very quiet, they didn't have people around, doesn't mean they weren't loving or kind, that's just not what they did. There's an immediate clash, isn't there? Because you want to have people around every night of the week, he doesn't. And there's no sin involved in that, but if you don't understand the difference that your family of origin made, you will begin to criticise one another, and so on and so forth, and then begin fighting. And so it's just really, really important to just to recognize that. And I think for Roger and I, I think there, has, there, there have been things within that that we've re- recognized about ourselves. We, we bring things into the marriage, and they could be good, they could be bad. But it's just recognizing them and then what you do about them, okay? Um, the other thing where I want to dig in a bit is the innie or outy thing. The external processing, internal processing. Really important to understand ourselves and one another in this, because it's, what, it's how we communicate, isn't it? And it's how we work out fights with one another. How do you, how do you deal with fights? How, how do you, I say fights, not fist fights, but, you know, when you're, when, you, when you're cross with one another, that kind of fighting. How do we express honest anger, disappointment, hurt? Innies and outies will will reveal themselves in the way they, they respond to situations and they will react differently. Um, outies need to learn self-control. <laughs> okay? In all different ways. Innies lead to learn to break through the fear that they have in expressing any of those things, honest anger and so on and so forth. Those two things are diametrically opposed. And if, if we don't begin to try and understand ourselves and how our partner functions, then, then we're in for a really tough ride on that one. Uh, outers need to understand. They need to give innies time to respond. And I don't mean a few minutes. Like, it could be three days. Sometimes it takes me three days to get over being upset. I mean, I'm better now. It's a shorter time now, but <laughs> but and of course you can be a mixture. But it, it doesn't mean you're not dealing with it. You're not thinking about it. But it just means you don't know how to say it because you got so hurt. But you don't know how to say it. You have to think through how you want to say it. So if we understand that with one another, we'll again it, it's much better. Introverts and, and extroverts. We re-energize differently, okay? How you, how you get your energy back, what you enjoy doing, how you relate to people, very different if you're an introvert or you're an extrovert. Again, understanding one another really helps, okay? It's not saying I'm right, you're wrong. It's just understanding yourself in that. 
Here's a big one in preparing for change and preparing to change. Listening. This is massive. This is absolutely massive and incredibly hard to do when you have young children. I don't think Roger and I, I don't think Roger and I ever had a coherent sentence when our children were like under five because we had three under fives. They're all really, really close together. And like you could sit down for a meal and try and say something banal. He never even got even to say that. Halfway through a sentence and bang. Someone needed you. Someone had dropped stuff all over the floor. Someone had knocked their water over. Someone was hitting someone. I mean, you know. Um, so listening is hard when you have young children. Am I getting nods on that? <laughs> yes, yeah, so hard. All right, here we go. Adam McHugh writes, this is another guy. Hearing is an act of the senses. We all hear things. Listening is an act of the will. I'm going to say that again because that's so important. Hearing is an act of the senses. Listening is an act of the will. Good listening. Intentional. Intentionality. You're there. Listen. Be present. Uh, and, like, again, we're talking to ourselves. Be present. Listen to what they've got to say. All right, TVs, phones, remotes, even children. At times, you need to listen to your marriage partner. Okay? Really, really important. V valuing the other person as you listen and valuing their otherness. They're not the same as you. So you need to value that in them. You need to give one another permission to talk and explore your feelings. And you need to give yourself permission. All right? All of this, I keep talking about the other person, but I'm trying to keep bringing us back to directing it towards ourselves. Um, open questions. Don't just try to fix things. All right? have open questions with when you're listening to, to your partner bad listening this shocked me I, this is from dorothy greco's book and it's like something you sing it's a song it's like i won't sing it uh, you want to be oh it's a prayer where does it come from you want to be heard more than to hear um oops wrong bit of paper. you want to be understood more than to understand. This is bad listening, don't forget. And you want to be right more than you want to love. <laughs> That's bad listening. Oh my gosh, and can't we tick all those boxes? <laughs> all right? Okay, when you listen, it's about the other person. It's not about you. Another huge one, two, two more to go. Forgiveness. Be kind to one another, says Galatians. Be tender-hearted, forgiving each other, as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Okay? We're image bearers. We're presence carriers. Okay? So what Jesus has done, we also can, can reflect that. Why do we forgive? Because if we don't, unforgiveness is toxic. It leads to bitterness. It affects you. It affects your partner. And it affects other people. Another reason why to forgive, because we have been forgiven. And it's Jesus' command to us, actually. Can't really get away with it, but it's hard. 
It's a choice. It's a process. It isn't easy. Remember, we're all imperfect and broken. I've put in, in big letters, give each other a break. <laughs> all right? We're all broken. All right? You're not the best person in the world. So don't lay it on too hard to your partner. <coughs> Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is tangible. It's not just theoretical. Um, and again, this is a quote from Dorothy's book. We love when we apologize for our harshness rather than pretend it didn't happen. I'm so good at that. I'm really rubbish at forgiveness as well. We love when we push past our fatigue and serve each other at the end of an exhausting week or day. We love as we extend grace. A sacrificial love, that's all tangible. Okay? It is not theoretical. And how do you do that? How do you how do you how do you show sacrificial love? How do you extend forgiveness? By connecting to the source of that. By connecting to Jesus. All right. If we experience Jesus' sacrificial love, and if we're recipients of true grace, the grace that God has given to us in Jesus, that enables us and helps us to reflect the same. Maybe smaller, but it's a reflection and fruit of the Spirit, again, very helpful there. Um, the very last thing I want to say is challenge yourself to be part of a godly, healthy community. And that might sound weird to say that in a, in a marriage seminar, but being married in a good, healthy commu church community is incredibly helpful because it helps us to grow and mature. It helps us to have friends outside the you-me relationship. It helps us to be accountable so that people can challenge us. Rog and I have good friends that can challenge us about our behaviors um, and love and care. All of that, if it's a good, healthy community, is, is what you are part of and the benefits you, you have for being part of it. And then, of course, you can do the same for others. And um, this lady, Dorothy Greco, she finishes by saying that she and her husband are still on the journey of change. And I found this so encouraging, considering I'd read the whole book. She went, and progress is glacial. <laughs> Glaciers don't move very fast. Oh, that was so helpful. It's like, yeah, I've seen all of this. I agree with so much. But even someone who is committed to change and written a book about it is saying it's glacial. Um, Baby steps for you and me, but that's movement. That's movement towards our destination, which is a good marriage. Okay, baby steps. So in conclusion, you, me, each one of us, we need to want Jesus to change us. We need to want that. Change us for the better. And then, not only want it, but we need to allow it. Because you can want something, can't you, intellectually, but allowing your partner to, you know, try and iron out some of those bumpy things to allow friends in is, is a different matter. Um, if we allow that process to happen in ourselves, it will change our marriages, for sure.
it will do because we will be changed. All along the way, do not take yourself too seriously. Have fun. Laugh a lot. Laugh a lot. Because if you don't, you will become super intense people. And no one will want to be friends with you. <laughs> Least of all your marriage partner. Right? Have a lot of fun together. All right? Because humor really helps to oil the wheels of marriage. Thanks so much, love. Okay, we're going to just finish in a moment. Uh, just to say, obviously we did an introductory bit this morning, which kind of took, uh, took a bit of time out from the end, because normally what we'd want to do is just allow a bit of time for Q&A. Okay, so tomorrow with Lee and Stacey, and then on the last morning with John and Karen, there'll be room for Q&A. If there's anything that is really kind of stirred up in you that you feel you want to talk it through... I, I would say it's always best to go kind of local church, talk to your leaders, whatever, uh, you know, to share there. But also we're here to serve, not instead of that, but alongside that. If you want to have a, a chat with us, you know, there won't be a great ministry time at the end of these life zones. This won't be like the spiritual warfare thing. But if there's anything you just want to have a chat through, um, then we're happy for that and uh, available for that. Okay. But what I do want to do is pray right now. Just pray. And <clears throat> just so aware that there's such a mix of, you know, I say the singles, there's folks, you've got, you know, a difficult story to tell in terms of the marriage story. There's other folks who are just newly married. There's other folks who are on decades of being married. Some of you might be on your second, third marriage. Lord Jesus, we just come to you and thank you for your remarkable, amazing grace. Thank you that you meet with us right where we are. And Lord, we just do sense the weight that being, of, of being married in times like this, that you call us to live in a different way. You, you call us to shine and to be a prophetic declaration, not just of your original design, but actually of the bigger story as well, your love for the church. And they'll be very aware of your of our weakness, our brokenness. We're very aware of everything Cheryl just shared, just where we fail, where we, we struggle. We, we know our own sin. We know our own struggles. But, Lord, we just bring that to you right now. And we say, Lord, would you do something in each married couple here and yet to be married that would change us to be more like you, that would build something so secure and so attractive and so fruitful in our marriages that we just speak to the worlds we live in. Just help us, Lord. Come help us, Lord, we pray.
Give us courage, Lord, if there's conversations we need to have. Give us grace with one another. And Lord Jesus, have your way with us, we pray. In your name. Amen. Amen. Okay.